take your Bible to Revelation chapter 17. And uh, I was planning to move further into Revelation uh, 17 tonight, but I, I kind of uh, baited you or tempted some of you maybe with the idea of the mother of harlots. And so I want to clarify a little more what I mean by that before we roll on. Um, sometimes in, in life we have thoughts, questions, confusion, uh, uncertainty, complexity, and then someone will come along and will say, here's the answer. And so it's, oh, thank you, finally. But let me encourage you, there is no, there's no one person, no man, no woman, and that includes me, who is the answer for you. Um, if, unless you are, if unless you get to a point with someone where you are a little bit disappointed and let down by that person, you probably have them in the wrong position in your mind. And so it's important that we, he said, let God be true and every man a liar. And, and again, that includes me. And my goal is not to just shake everything up and, and cause you to doubt. It's to increase your faith in this book right here. And so what I've found is the first iteration of a thought you know, the first draft, the beta version is, here's what it is. I don't know what it is, but I'm thinking about it, and I hope I can learn about it. Someone comes along, and I understand the way of God more perfectly, and I, wow, that's awesome. And, um, and then, as I go on, sometimes little, you know, these little foxes are chewing on the vines. I don't really understand, well, how does that answer that then? How does that answer that? What has to happen is, you have to have another look, a new understanding that gives you more of an appreciation and a confidence in the Word of God. So be careful if you try to shoehorn someone's theories or feelings or thoughts, including mine, into the Bible. What has to happen is you have to kind of go through and say, all right, I'm willing, Lord, just like when I got saved for you to teach me everything, I'm willing to start over. Uh, and, and what you'll find is God doesn't throw everything out because if you had any kind of good teaching, it came from the Bible. But no man, no woman can give you a 100% complete understanding of the Bible. Only God can do that. And with a fallible mind, with a sinful human nature attached, the likelihood of you getting 100% is zero by the time you get to heaven. You're not going to get it 100%. But you keep learning. You keep growing. I, I like to use the, the illustration of the optometrist or the optician, whichever it is. Maybe one of you can explain what the difference is. I think the optician, I don't know if someone told me before. But they say one or two. Two or three. Right? And they keep saying that. And they actually, um, they go back, circle back several times. Because if you're like me, I'm like, I'm not sure. I think it was one, but maybe it was two. And I don't want to have bad eyesight the rest of my life because of stupidity on my part. And so they, my mom liked that one. So they, they circle back around over and over again. And what that does is it brings it into clearer focus. That's what we want, right? We want clearer focus. So I want you to get ready to take out your, your understanding of Scripture. I want you to broaden your mind. Particularly when it comes to Revelation 17, Bible believers uh, need to have their minds challenged in this way. Let's look at 17.1. There came one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials, and talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither, I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication. And the inhabitants of the earth have been made 
drunk with the wine of her fornication, so he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness. And I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast, having uh, full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color, and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. So, here's the statement that we will use as a working working theme tonight. And uh, it is this. There's only one false system of religion with many branches. One false system of religion with many branches. And uh, I, I have to say this, this is a complete commercial, it's non sequitur, it completely out of sequence. So forgive me, but I forgot to tell you, uh, we'd like to thank Brother Craig Collingwood, Brother Jeff Fellman, Brother Ken Lease, and Brother Rex Falk for their help in updating the ladies' bathroom. They came in, did some work, and of course, Brother Kistner was uh, in charge of that. He did a good job, so he doesn't want me to say it, and so that's why I'm going to say it over and over again. Amen? Brother Kistner, I love him. He's a good man. He's been faithful to the Lord for a long, long years, and uh, so thank you for that. Uh, uh, he donated all the materials that, to go in there and fix it. And uh, ladies, he's basically saying, I want you to stop complaining about the bathroom, okay? No more complaints. No, I'm just kidding. I hear they had chocolates and everything in there tonight. I don't, we don't get anything like that. But uh, apparently the ladies, you know, they're special. But no, they are. And I do appreciate Brother Kistner and all those men who are involved. Okay, commercial is over. Back to Revelation. Here we go. Notice that this woman, this woman... Uh, In verse number 5, it says she is the mother of harlots. Okay, which means there's only one mother, but she's got at least how many daughters? At least two. And uh, and, and knowing the scripture and history, she's got to have more than two. There's a whole bunch of them. There's a whole bunch of them. This is the one world religion of the beast and the false prophet, this idea of a combination, but you've got to keep this in mind that there are a lot of different people in a lot of different regions in the world. What does it say in Ezekiel 16.44? Behold, everyone that useth Proverbs shall use this proverb against thee, saying, as is the mother, so is her daughter. Right? So we have the mother of multiple harlots. All right? This is the culmination of all of the satanic religious system down throughout time. That is what John sees. Okay? We have to keep that in mind because we kind of sometimes will come to Scripture with an understanding, and yes, there are parallels, and yes, you can see that, but I want you to think bigger. Bigger than one harlot, I want you to think about the mother of harlots. Okay? And it'll make more sense as we go. Take your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 5. The second thing we've got to keep in mind is... Let me double check something here. Okay, good. Second thing we've got to keep in mind is that Satan has constantly disguised this woman down throughout history. Now, we looked last week at Proverbs 7. 
Proverbs 7 with the strange woman. Look at chapter 5, verse 3. Proverbs 5, verse 3. Amen. Water from the well is what I needed. Verse number 3. For the lips of a strange woman drop as in honeycomb, and her mouth is smoother than oil. Remember, we talked about flattery. But her end is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps take hold on hell. Lest thou shouldst ponder the path of life, her ways are movable that thou canst not know them. So throughout the centuries, Satan has been a master at disguising this mother of harlots. Take your Bible back to Job 41. Job 41. Here's the Lord speaking of Leviathan. In Job chapter 41, look at verse 13. Job 41, 13. What do we know about Satan? What is he transformed into? Transformers more than meets the eye. That's what I, I was a kid. That's what was going. Transforming. Things that you think are one thing, but they're actually another. That's Satan's modus operandi. Look at verse 13. Who can discover the face of his garment? Who? You can't even tell what he's wearing. He changes clothes. He changes shape. And uh, it's still him behind the mask, but it's not, he doesn't look like the same dragon. And so this, this woman that we find in Revelation 17, this is not a woman that showed up in the tribulation period. This is not a woman that uh, showed up in the church age. This is a woman who is the mother of harlots. She is the culmination. She's been around for centuries, and Satan just loves dressing her up and changing her face and and changing her garments and, and morphing. Have you ever wondered why there's so many different religions? The reason is because there's so many different people. That's all it is. Satan uses uh, all kinds of bait. Whenever we go out on the lake, Rex and I, will, I'll go out with him sometimes, and uh, they always are talking about trolling. And what are they hitting today? And you know, you think about these walleye, what do they know? Well, they know what they like. And what they like is not the same every day. And if fish are like that, how much more people? What do people do? They, they, what do they know? They know what they like. And Satan has been uh, test marketing religion since the beginning, almost, of time. I want you to see letter C. The Roman Catholic religion, with its constantly dying Christ and its ever-living exalted woman, is a part of Mystery Babylon, but not the whole. And, and, and I want to emphasize this, and I say this to Bible believers, because uh, there's so many parallels between the mother of harlots and so forth here in Revelation 17 and the Roman Catholic Church that we say it's one and the same, except Scripture never uses the term Catholic. And so what we do is we say, well, there's a lot of all kinds of similarities, and there are. But when did the Catholic Church come into being? In that sense, the Roman Roman Catholic Church couldn't have come in before what? Rome. 
The Roman Catholic Church couldn't have come in before Roman. Well, we know before Rome there was Greece, and before that there was Medo-Persia, before that there was Babylon. There's a lot of things that go back. So what happens if we're not careful is we smash it all together. And the danger of that is you make leaps. And well, who cares? If something's right, it's right. You do not have to use a lie to prove the truth. A lie, a tr- the truth can stand on its own. Now, the challenge sometimes for me is I really want something to be true. So I'll give you an example. There is a, a man named Alexander Hislop who wrote a book, and it's called, it's called The Two Babylons. And, uh, and he goes through to, basically to describe and say that, you know, Mystery Babylon is the papacy. He makes a lot of great points. The Cliff's Notes version of that book is called Babylon Mystery Religion. It's written by Alexander, I'm sorry, by Ralph Woodrow. First one back in 1847, 1858, one of the two, uh, it was written. And uh, Ralph Woodrow came along and wrote kind of a modernized, updated version. And, and so a lot of folks jumped on that bandwagon again, and, and there's a lot of good information in there. The only problem is, a few years later, Ralph Woodrow wrote a rebuttal to his own reduction of Hislop's book, and he called it the Babylon Connection question mark. And in that, he shows where he made a lot of leaps of logic. I'll give you an example. Uh, Ishtar and Easter. Hislop made that connection and said Ishtar equals Easter. But it doesn't. Are there similarities? Of course there are. Why? They may be sisters. Mother of harlots. But are they the same? And sometimes we look at that, and, and if you're a literalist like me, I want to say, well, it's that, it's that, it's that. The problem is, if there is no etymological connection between Ishtar and Easter, we should stop saying it. And there's not. But see, the thing is, well, we know it's true, we know it's true. I'll give you some, I, at some point, maybe I'll give you some, some reasons to believe that Easter is referring to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's, that's talk about a bombshell. You know, I could give you some good, some good reasons. Uh, and that's not changing the word Easter at all. But see, once we have in our head that Easter equals pagan, you know, fertility rites, then we're off to the races. So what happens typically in life is this. You're clueless. You have no idea. Somebody really helpful comes along and says, here's, here's something for you to think about. And if you're not careful, you stop thinking after they give you that. Because all you can think about is, I was lost, but now I'm found. I was clueless, but now what's the contrast? I know everything? It can't be that. I was clueless, but now God's put me on a path to learning more and more. Not that the truth becomes truer, but I I understand the truth in a greater way than I used to. And what I love about this is that the words of the Bible never change. But I understand them more clearly, clearly than I used to. So as we look at this, I just want you to, to set aside maybe some of your preconceived ideas. And believe me, I know what I'm doing. But it doesn't bother me. Why? Because the ultimate authority is not what I think or what somebody else thinks. It is what thus saith the Lord. And here's the beauty of that. You don't even need any other believer to help you understand what the words of God are in that sense. If you can read them, there they are. Very clear. And so what does that do? Well, it does two things. One, it gives you confidence. 
But two, it also gives you more responsibility. You have a greater commission that's laid on you because you can understand the Bible. A lot of my understanding of the Bible is this. Well, I always thought this. I heard this when I was 14. And guess what? It was wrong. How do I know it was wrong? Because somebody forgot to mention this other verse over here. And, or this verse and this verse. Or I misread the verse because I thought it said, and it didn't say that. And so it's a constant coming back to say, Lord, you're in charge. You've given me a book and I humble myself to that book. So let me say, first of all, here about this, um, there's so many reasons why we, we, we definitely can match this woman. Everything about this woman matches the Roman Catholic system. But we, don't, we, we must be careful. There's too many reasons why we can't limit it to that. And I'll give you some reasons tonight. Uh, first of all, her harlotry. Her harlotry. You say, well, that's not a good reason. Well, and if you notice, go to Jeremiah chapter 3. Jeremiah chapter 3, Revelation 17 uh, talks about the great whore, she's committed fornication, the filthiness of her fornication, mother of harlots, it's obvious. Harlotry is the symbol in God's word for a debauched worship, idolatry, and false devotion. So when people worship what is not God, or they give their hearts to idols or to institutes or systems or doctrines or rites or, you know, whatever, that's called whoredom and adultery and fornication. Look at Jeremiah 3, verse 6. The Lord said also unto me in the days of Josiah the king, Hast thou seen that which backsliding Israel hath done? She has gone up upon every high mountain and under every green tree, and there hath played the harlot. Who is doing this? Israel. And I said after she had done all these things, turn thou unto me, but she returned not, and her treacherous sister Judah saw it. This is Judah, this is Israel. And I saw, verse 8, when for all the causes whereby backsliding Israel committed adultery, I had put her away, and given her a bill of divorce, yet her treacherous sister Judah feared not, but went and played the harlot also. It came to pass through the lightness of her whoredom that she defiled the land and committed adultery with stones and with stocks. Talking about worshiping idols, false gods. So here we have harlotry or, or whoredom or fornication. That is a symbol in God's word for turning away from the true God. And uh, notice this woman is the mother of these wicked practices upon many waters. Back in Revelation chapter 17, the great whore that sitteth upon many waters. And we know that the, the tribal rites of primitive people definitely predate the church of Rome. The condemnations against these spiritual whoredoms are, you're talking about three or 4,000 years before there were any popes. And I know the answer that has been given is, well, they weren't popes. It was actually a pagan ruler and so forth. And again, that is true. But what does that prove? That it's all one system's continuing? Yes, in a sense. It's a satanic system. But remember, it's a mother of harlots. A mother of harlots. Over and over again, we see this. So it's safe to say that mystery, Babylon the Great, probably does find its most complete expression uh, in, in Roman Catholicism, but you can't say that it started in Rome. Number two, 
how could this woman be the mother of abominations of the earth if she is only Rome? I want you to take your Bible to Isaiah chapter 21. Isaiah 21. Isaiah, look at chapter 21. And behold, verse number 9, behold, here cometh a chariot of men with a couple of horsemen. And he answered and said, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, and all the graven images of her gods he hath broken unto the ground. This is the same language that's used in Revelation. And no one would suggest that this verse is referring to Rome. No one would say that. Her existence has to date back to, if she's the mother of abominations of the earth, it has to go far enough back to include all of the wicked practices that people have done in false religions. The pagan altars, the self-mutilation of the Tibetan monks has to include all of that, uh, the sacrifices to devils. It has to include the type of rites, the initiation or the uh, punishment ceremonies, whereby when William Carey first went into India, he saw people literally uh, being skewered uh, through the back, skin on the back by a hook and lowered down over fires, alive. This is what William Carey said. And no one would suggest that that is a Roman Catholic uh, practice, or that it was influenced by Roman Catholicism. You say, well, I can see the connections. Yes, you're right. Well, that's because it's a bunch of harlots who all came from the same mother. And, and so what you'll find is, as you start thinking about this, we have to account for Hinduism, which of course gave birth to Buddhism. We have to account for um, the, uh, the, the, the nation of Islam, we have to account for all of the folks who have no connection whatsoever to Christianity. And what happens, though, is we say, I can see a lot of the... I've, I read, you know, uh, so-and-so, he said there's a big connection. And, and there may very well be, but if we are Bible believers, we want to stick as close to the Bible as we can. Because what happens is, we say, well, I can see how that could be... I can see how that fits really well. And now what our standard becomes is, and look at all this other stuff that matches this. Before we know it, we've left the Bible behind. Not because we don't love the Bible, but because, let's just face it, it's nice to be right. I love being right. I don't, I don't enjoy being wrong. But what I found is this, me being right is only a temporary feeling. God being right never changes. I change, I'm up, I'm down. And as long as I know the words of the Bible are true, I stand to be corrected by any man or woman. Hopefully not tonight or tomorrow or next year. But listen, I'm serious about that. Because I know this, there's no way in the world for you to stand firm in the flow of your life. You have to adjust, you have to move, you have to be willing to listen. You have to change, you have to adjust. And so here we have, to, we have to include all of the things that happened, all of the things that happened uh, in, in religious rituals down through time. And so what we can say is this, all of those things that happened in, 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 in Africa, the animism, all the things that, that have happened in, in Asia, 
the, the worship of ancestors, all those things. You don't have to try to figure out how to shoehorn them into Roman Catholicism. All you have to say is they're all branches of that same family tree. And we can, we'll see that here in just a little bit. Uh, number three. Number three, Rome has never been Babylon. The woman's place on the timeline renders that impossible. So what you could say is this. There's probably a Sarah living somewhere um, that she, she's living today, and she is a Jew. She could not possibly be the mother of the Jewish race. But she could certainly even look exactly like Sarah. She could have the same characteristics of Sarah, but there's no way she could be the mother. Why? The timeline doesn't fit. She'd have to be way, way, way back there. If she's alive today, it doesn't fit. And so that's why we look at this. So again, we see a lot of the, there's connections, certainly there's traces. Uh, no harlot religion today could be the mother of harlots in that sense. Why? The timeline doesn't fit. The mother comes first. Now, of course, we understand that the mother could still be alive and certainly is alive in a spiritual, false religious sense. But, she would, but, but, but the, the daughter would look like the mother, and you could even mistake the daughter for the mother. But the timeline has to fit. Does that make sense? I want you to think about Nimrod. Take your Bibles to Genesis chapter 10, and uh, let's look at Nimrod for a moment. And I'll give you an example of what I, what I mean by this. Genesis chapter 10. We find that in Genesis 10, you've got the table of nations, so to speak. And it says in verse number 6, The sons of Ham, Cush and Mizraim, which is, another, uh, which is the Hebrew word for Egypt. It's the name of a man, and that's the name of a nation. And put and Canaan, the sons of Cush, Seba and Havilah and Sabta and Ramah and Saptika and the sons of Ramah, Sheba and Dedan. And Cush begat Nimrod. He began to be a mighty one in the earth. Nimrod. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Wherefore it is said, even as Nimrod the mighty hunter before the Lord. I don't know all the reasons why God decided to take a break and dig down on Nimrod specifically. But I think it's because it's the first mention of a kingdom in the Bible. The beginning of his kingdom was Babel and Erech and Akkad and Kalni. Where? In the land of Shinar. Where is Shinar? What's the land of Shinar? It's Babylon. Babylon is the land of Shinar. So when we, look at, when we look at Nimrod, notice this. Notice, Nimrod is the rebel, that's what his name means, rebellion, and the grandson of Ham. He's the founder of Babel, which means the gate of God. And we won't take the time to go through all of this, but he has a city and he has a tower. And it seems to be a combination of two things. The political side, which would be uh, the city, the governmental side, and then you'd have the tower whose top may reach unto what? Heaven, the religious side. 
That's where a lot of the things come from. There's a lot of uh, great questions like, was that the beginning of astrology and the signs of the zodiac on top of it? Was it building a spaceship? What were they trying to do? Is basically someone said it's it was the first space program. You know, whatever we know, we don't know exactly all that happened. How would we know exactly what happened? Where would we find it? It have to be in the Bible. Now I'll tell you one thing that's not in the in the Bible that I've looked for is the name Semiramis. In fact, history is really scant on Semiramis. So what does that mean? Well, I mean, we just tread lightly there. Because then what happens is you say, okay, Semiramis. Well, there, there you go. And she had a son and, and uh, her son supposedly, you know, uh, was worshipped and, and, and or off to the races. So I can't find a lot of information about it in, in history. And I don't have to. Why? The Bible doesn't talk about it. It's not there. So what should I do? Well, I can certainly glean from Hislop. I mean, by the way, if anybody's wondering, Hislop is a much smarter man than I am. Much better Bible teacher. Uh, how do I know that? We're still talking about him almost 200 years later. He's much, much more advanced than I am. But here's what I love about it. I've got the same authority that he does. It's the Bible. And I'm not intimidated one bit. Why? It either says it or it doesn't say it. If it doesn't say it, his guess is as good as mine. Now, he could be a lot more educated. The reason why I say that is because a lot of times when we teach through Babel and Babylon, the first thing we do is talk about how Nimrod had a wife named Semiramis. Where is that in the Bible? It's not. So, of course, we would understand he probably had a wife, probably had multiple wives, probably had a whole bunch of stuff that he, that he did. So I kind of take that one a little bit lightly, and I just keep on trucking down the road. There's a lot more uh, you can find out. I'll give you some example of, of uh, some more supposition we could do. He's a mighty hunter before the Lord. What was he hunting? Well, some people say well, he was hunting men. He was hunting men because he wanted to make a one-world government. He was bringing them all in. Pull them all together. Just like you have the, uh, the, the white horse there in the book of Revelation. He's got the bow and he goes forth conquering to conquer. And he's bringing up, maybe, maybe so. Or here's another thought. Here after the post-flood, maybe we have lots of beasts, wild beasts that are multiplying. And he's a mighty hunter. He builds, they go forth and they build this city after he, he his, uh, the, the guy that builds this first kingdom. And he protects them and he kills all these wild beasts. And what do you know? What do we find? Um, we find, what's the symbol of Babylon? What animal? A lion. You have a lion all over Babylon. And Nebuchadnezzar, he takes that as his symbol and he builds on that. And, and so what I found is, even in history, they say that Semiramis and, and Nim, Nimrod, if, those, uh, if Semiramis was a, you know, an actual person, they say it's, they're separated by a thousand years in history. So now I have to be careful because when I'm, when I'm studying the Bible and I'm studying somebody or a book that, man, this is really good stuff and it really helps me understand the Bible, what happens when there's a disagreement with the book and the Bible? I don't have to throw everything out, but I just tread lightly. And just like you're doing with me, you're going, wait just a minute. That's good. That's good. Because first, you've got to think. And thinking is hard. So 
like the old Barbie doll years ago. Math is hard. Thinking is hard. And, and, but the good thing is, if you will put your mind to it, you will come out either proving it right or wrong. And you're better off that way. Here's Nimrod. Nimrod, he, he starts building this thing. And uh, I don't know exactly how the whole thing happens. Um, I don't know. But I know this. Somewhere along the line, somewhere along the line, idolatry is carried from Babylon to the corners of the globe. Because after his death, it says in chapter 11, they, 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 uh, they were of whole, the whole earth was of one language, of one speech. And notice in verse number four, they said, go to, let us build us a city and a tower whose name may, uh, whose, whose top may reach unto heaven. Let us make us a name. Let us make us a name. So they're in the land of Shinar, and how exactly all this happens with the with the the migration journeyed from the east and found the plain, how it all connects, certainly connects with Nimrod because his kingdom, beginning of his kingdom was Babel, and here they are in the land of Shinar, and so they're connected here. Something about what Nimrod did was number one, I wanna I wanna build something that protects everybody. I want a tower that gets us connected with with Religion with the, with heaven, and then I want to have a name. I want people to know who we are. Why? I don't want us all to be disconnected. I want us to pull together, right? And the Lord comes down and He confounds their language. He 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 scatters them so they can't understand one another. It doesn't say specifically that He knocked the tower down. And they say today that there is a mound there, and it's called Beers Nimrud, something like that. And there, I believe that it was destroyed by ISIS in the last few years. You can look that up. Uh, not the Egyptian goddess, but ISIS, the uh, Islamic um, crazy people. And they knocked it down because they said it was a, a place of worship of false gods. And, and, uh, but that was still there. And they, people said, yep, that's where it started. That's where it started. And that's not in the city of Babylon, um, but it is a little bit further south. And it's connected. It's where, where the whole thing got rolling. Now, let me, let me tell you this. Genesis 3.15. Um, for those of you, just go back to 3 since you're there in 11. Here is something. Here's the reason why Hislop um, kind of got rolling on it from what I can tell. I will put enmity, verse 15, I'll put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. Now, who knows, uh, you know, women don't have a seed. So this is referring to the virgin, a virgin birth. This woman is giving birth. Somehow she has seed. It belongs to her. Right between thy seed, Satan, and her seed, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Satan knows this is true, and so he is going to somehow mimic, counterfeit, rip it off. And so you do find throughout, this is where uh, the idea of Semiramis comes from. Somebody said it was all connected. Um, I don't, I'm not convinced, I'm, I'm ready to be convinced. But, but what you do find is throughout all of human history and civilization everywhere, you find this worship of female deities. And they're, they're not, they don't have to be all connected. 
They don't have to all be the same one. Why? It's the same idea. Just like it's not the same, uh, there was not just one son of God who came down in Genesis chapter 6 and, and cohabited with the daughters of men. There was multiple. And that's why you have, and I believe that they were the forerunners of Greek mythology. And all those pagan gods and goddesses, they were all connected there. Uh, it's not just, it doesn't have to be just one. And the reason why I say that is if you try to say it's the same, then you'll start going off the deep end. You'll, you'll, you'll start going crazy. And you'll start changing things to make it fit. And again, this may be just like really nerding out for some of you. Like, why are you worried about this? I have been around enough to know some of the lore and some of the things that are said. And when I go to look for them and to verify them, I can't find them. Or I find that it's not true. And I start to get discouraged. And I'm like, well, what? What's the point in the whole thing? The point is the Word of God is always supposed to be our foundation. Start from there and you're going to be fine. But look at this. I put them in your notes. Um, Egypt, Greece, Phoenicia, they all got this religion from ancient Babylon. How do I know that? Because I know God thought it was important enough to put it in Genesis chapter 10 and 11 that the beginning of his kingdom, the first mention of kingdom, was there in chapter 10. And then God thought that this was a big enough deal to go down and look at this tower and scatter the people and change the language. This has to be a high water mark. It has to be the origin of, of all the craziness that spread throughout the world. There's no other candidate that I can see in Scripture. This is it. Genesis chapter 11. So look, what do we have? In Phoenicia, we have Ashtar and her son Baal. In Egypt, Isis and her son Osiris. In Greece, Aphrodite, her son Eros, which is the Greek word for sensual or romantic love. Uh, also Venus and Cupid. Uh, those are considered the same. Uh, you know, what a wonderful name, Venus, where we get venereal disease from. Uh, in China, Xing Mu, there is a uh, mother goddess known as, whole, as the Holy Mother. Uh, in Germany, Hertha. In India, which she was not a virgin, Hertha was not considered a virgin. In India, she was known as Indrani. In Syria, Ishtar. In Ephesus, Diana. Of course, you have that you know, greatest Diana of the Ephesians. Everybody worships her according to Acts 17. Uh, there's a legend in Roman mythology that says that the founding of Rome was, was uh, due to a divinely fathered child or, or children of a vestal virgin. The worship of Baal, we know in Scripture, is identical. It's introduced into Israel by Jezebel because her father was a big Baal guy, Eth Baal. And she's from Tyre and Sidon. She came down and she married Ahab. Ahab brought in false religion. And that religion is an identical one with the Babylonian religion. It's connected. They're very closely connected. And what you find as you get into the book of Judges, you'll see there's so many similarities in this thing. So many of them. And where does it continue? Well, of course, we understand it's got to continue in the Roman Catholic Church. There's too many similarities. But you also have to keep in mind, what about Buddhism? Right? You'll find similarities there. The reason why we don't think about those as much, because we don't know any Buddhists. We, we don't know any Hindus. We know lots of Catholics. And they're blinded. But may I say that unsaved Catholics go to the same hell that unsaved Hindus and Buddhists go to. And the devil doesn't give a rip what false religion you're in, as long as you go to hell. It's all the same thing to him. 
In fact, there's a whole ton more Hindus and Buddhists than there are Catholics. So notice, this Babylonian cult, it was, it was a, a kind of a Gnostic cult, which is knowledge, you know, K-N-O-W, but it's G-N-O-S, Gnostic. Um, it was, it was for the un, for the, only for the initiated, uh, initiated, only for the celibate. Uh, it, it was, it was, you could go back and find this stuff. It was, it was filthy is what it was. And what, what happened is the, the pagan culture gradually got assimilated into the church. And it was by Satan's design. He was trying to pull the secular in with the sacred. Aren't you glad he's given up that idea? <laughs> he hasn't given it up. He's always trying to marry the sacred with the secular. He's always trying to get Christians to live more like the world, to be carnal. He's always trying to do it. Why? We serve a risen Savior, a hidden, uh, invisible God. And so we want to constantly pull in things into our life that are visible, that are tangible. And everybody has their particular um, uh, sense, one of the five senses. Everyone has one that they lean towards. Uh, they're sensitive to that, either eating or whether it's hearing things or seeing things. We all have a particular sense. And, and Satan doesn't care which sense you go off the rails with. But the Lord said, they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. He said, the time's coming when you shall neither in this mountain nor yet in Jerusalem worship the Father. It's not so much about the tangible aspects of, of religion. That's why we don't have tons of different lights and it's a beautiful building that God's given us, but it's not about the physical stuff. It's about the spiritual. That, that's why we got to be careful. And I want to have my devotions. I got to make sure that I have everything right. I have the soft music playing and I have the candle lit and I have the, uh, you know, the, the uh, coffee there and, and everything is perfect. Be, I mean, hey, those things are nice, but that's not spiritual. It's not spiritual. Uh, if you're not careful, those things will become one, and you think a feeling equals truth, and it doesn't. There's a satanic spirit that moves around. So the city of Babylon uh, was the seat of Satan until, that, until the fall somewhere, the fall of the Babylonian uh, and the Medo-Persian Empire. And then it somehow goes to Pergamos. We know that from Revelation 2 where it says, I know that you are, you're living where Satan's seat is. I don't believe that it's still there. Um, I, I, don't, I don't think that it is. But it was, or maybe it will be, uh, speaking about the future. Either way, it moves around, and we find that to be true. Even uh, God's Spirit moved headquarters from different places, right? And so what you find is this. Go back if you, in your mind if Proverbs 5. Her ways are movable, portable. Just like God had a portable tabernacle in the wilderness, Satan imitates that with changing and adjusting. So what's considered cool 10 years ago is now considered dorky. Spiritually speaking, like religiously speaking, ecclesiastically speaking. You know what used to be big in churches? Choirs. Huge choirs. We've got to have the biggest choir and have camels and elephants come down the, you know, for our Christmas pageant. Amazing. Now what do we have? Three or four people up on the stage. You know what's coming after that? I don't know, but it's not going to be that. Something's going to change. 
I have a sneaking suspicion it's going to be whatever's cool in the world. That's what churches are going to be doing. Her ways are movable. They're constantly adjusting and changing. That's why we're real slow on the music that we do here. That's why we're real slow on the adjustments that we make to, to the way it feels in church. Because the, the devil's constantly moving and changing and updating. Why? Because people get bored with the spiritual. Carnal people are not interested in spiritual things. I mean, think about you guys. You're here listening to someone drone on and monotone about things at an hour clip. What does that say about you? You're not here for the physical, I can tell you that. You're not here for interesting, amazing, dynamic speakers with lots of cool things. That's not it. You are here for spiritual reasons. And that's also the reason why the church is not full. There's a, if, we, if we had half of the people that used to come to this church, it would be jam-packed. What happens? People don't just get mad and leave. They just kind of get bored. It's not cool anymore. It used to be cool. It was cool enough to get you, you know, your family back together. It was cool enough to get you off drugs and you know, get off drinking. But after a while, it gets boring. And listen, I've got the same flesh that you do. And, and so I understand that's, that's how it is as humans. But spiritually speaking, God does a work in our hearts that you cannot describe. And, and you can't download from, from the Internet. Little by little, what happens is the trappings of paganism become an established part over and over. And this has been talked about. You've got, you know, the worship of mother. Pagan festivals become Christian holidays. Um, pagan customs are the customs of the church. You've got 40-day mourning for uh, Tammuz. In Ezekiel 8, it becomes Lent. Uh, you've got... Virgin Mary becomes the queen of heaven. You've got um, absolution by a priest, the celibacy of the priesthood with some nuns thrown in to, you know, make it bearable. And uh, confessional, all this stuff happens. And what you have is by 378, Damasus, the bishop of Rome, was appointed Pontifex Maximus. And he becomes the head of the professing church and the legal successor to the pontiffs. So now you have married the church and, and, um, and the world, the, the government. But remember, it's just another iteration of what Babylon had, had been when it started in Nim, with Nimrod. So here's a, here's a thought, and I put this in your notes. The Roman Catholic Church will not need to conquer the other religions of the world, nor will they have to rid the world of Romanism. All that needs to be done is emphasize the woman, and everyone can reunite in Babylon. Rome is the fruit, but not the root. All right, number four. Here's another question. How can Rome be the mother of all the abominations of the earth when many other religions were born before she was? We talked about that a little bit, but think about this. Uh, after the flood, you had some crazy stuff that goes on. You had the, the, the Nephilim, you had the Rephaim, the Anakim. They were all descendants of the giants and, and the sons of the daughters of men. And where do they go? Well, I think that's where, of course, Og came from, Goliath came from. I think that's where, again, the, the Greek gods of the Romans and uh, the Greek gods uh, and the Roman gods and so forth, all those exalted beings that are super powerful, Zeus and, and Jupiter and so forth. 
So in the Old Testament, you also see a bunch of pagan deities like Moloch, Remphan, Chemosh, Zidonians, Milcom of the Moabites. You, you, there's, there's the children of Ammon, right? They, have, they, they introduce a bunch of evil practices there in 1 Kings. All of these were pre-Rome, pre-Rome. And they were damning souls to hell long before Catholicism ever came along. Why? Rome is the follower, not the founder. Not the founder. It's one of the harlots that is the daughter of the mother. Number five. This woman in Revelation 17 is drunken with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And we know this. Papal Rome does not account for all of the murders of God's people. There's no way in the world. There's been millions of people that have died by the hands of Jews, by the hands of Muslims, uh, pagans, Protestants. You've got the Red Chinese. Uh, You've got the North Koreans that are killing God's people today. And there's no hint of them being Catholic whatsoever. They hate the Church of Rome as much as anything. In fact, most Muslims think that Hope Baptist Church is a Catholic church. Did you know that? They think we're a Catholic church. Go talk to, go talk to a practicing Muslim. They're all the same thing. They, they think we're the, the, the harlots of, that come from the mother. I mean, they don't, see a, they don't see a dime's worth of difference. You know why? They don't know anything. They don't know anything about the Bible. That's why. Now, I say they, I'm, I'm not talking specifically. Some of them could talk circles around us in the Bible. And it would be good for us, maybe, because it would kind of wake us up. But the point being, they have, you, we talk about the Abraham Accords all day long, but it's the Abraham Accords. You know what? You know what? Uh, what everybody's going to have to do? They're going to have to give up something to be a part of the Abraham Accords. They're all going to have to give up part of their religion. And 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 does that pull it all together? Well, maybe it does. But what what does that do with Hinduism? And its sect, Buddhism. See what I'm saying? Like to get all this stuff together, if we try to shoehorn it into Roman Catholicism, what you're going to end up doing is find a book that makes those connections. A brother, I mean, I read the, the Brother Albert uh, magazines too, and how he connects all these things. And there are things that connect, but what's interesting is, why not just stick with the scripture and say, it's the mother of harlots? There's tons of harlots. I tell you the reason why. A lot of times it's people who were former Catholics who really want to bring the Catholic Church down because it kept them in blindness for so long. That's understandable. Absolutely understandable. But do you care that much about bringing the Hindu temple down? See what I'm saying? it's, It's just a personal thing because it kept you in bondage and of course you should be upset about it. But you know... The Lord is concerned for every soul, every soul, every man, woman, boy, or girl. And, uh, and I think we all naturally go towards the people that are like us. And you should. You should start there. But remember, the heart of God is much bigger than our heart. So keep that in mind. Don't just go after people that you think are close to salvation. Go after everybody that you can. If God's given you an opportunity, go after him. Pray for him. Well, he's Muslim. He'll never get saved. Man, there's a lot of Muslims that have gotten saved. Thousands of them. 
So don't sell God's gospel short. What I'm trying to say. I want you to take your Bibles one more place. Luke chapter 11. We'll shut her down. Luke chapter 11. Notice in verse number 50. Luke eleven fifty. Luke eleven fifty. It says that the blood of all the prophets which was shed from the foundation of the world may be required of this generation. From the blood of Abel unto the blood of Zacharias, which perished between the altar and the temple. Verily I say unto you, it shall be required of this generation. These Hebrews here, they're practitioners of false religion among the Jews. They're guilty of the blood of the martyrs from Abel to Zacharias. These are not a part of the church of Rome. These Hebrews. They were not. But you can, you can, of course, confidently say that they were connected with the satanic false religion. There's no doubt about it. How? I don't know how. Her ways are movable. All different kinds of ways. And you could probably study and find out a bunch of different ways. But it's all connected. If you understand, if you understand uh, first of all, in the last book of the Bible, you would expect to see the sum of all the good and all the evil throughout time. So we certainly see the sum of all good. We see the return of King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the new heaven and the new earth, the new Jerusalem coming down. But we also see the sum of all the evil. And that's what he's seeing in Revelation 17, the mother of harlots. If we understand Babylon as an expression of Satan's religious system from the days of Nimrod forward, including all systems of idolatry and false worship, we can understand the influence of the mother of harlots. Otherwise, we have to leave out vast populations that Rome has never touched. But they have indeed drunk the cup of Babylon. So, the enemy of God since the days of the flood is not limited to one church. They, there have been however many churches that Satan considers are necessary to get the job done. It's, I don't think that that false church has ever, has probably never had a better representation than the Catholic Church. But remember, as Westerners, we're looking at Western civilization. And there is an East as well. And that's a completely different world in that sense. But it is still connected with the mother of harlots. So as we look at this, I just want to encourage you. Here, here's what I want to do. Obviously, this may have jerked your chain a little bit if you, you know, if you haven't heard this kind of stuff before. And my intention is not to offend you or irritate you. It's to get you to go back to the Scripture and, and to think about this. If God is, is, is interested in coming down here and saving Catholics, who else is he interested in saving? And is he that interested in saving other people as he is in Catholics? Yes, he is. You know what that does? It should do. It should cause our heart and mind to realize, you know what? The people who get saved out of Buddhism that are just as upset about Buddhism as any of us might be upset about Catholics. We have, we have families, brothers and sisters in Christ all over the world that are going through that similar thing. And they cry and they pray and they beg their relatives to consider the claims of Jesus Christ. And so we're closer with them than we may realize if we can step back and let God build our heart out a little bit bigger, stretch it out so that we can see as he does from the heavens. And notice this, Jesus said, I am the way, 
the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And if you're thinking, well, you know, that works for us in Western. No, it works for the entire globe. Every single person. Let me encourage you to do one thing, practically speaking. Go to a country on that map, that screen back there. Find a random missionary on a, in a culture that you've never thought about going to. Don't know anything about. Find their contact information and talk to them about the bondage that the people in that country are in. And ask them the distinctions. Ask them the way it is. And what you'll find is that they're connected with the mother of harlots. There's something satanic across the globe. And our job as believers is to go out and tell them the truth. Now, let's look at our prayer list, if we would. 